Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Bandwagon Podcast, and today is um, what I would say is one of those people who um, really helped me over the last sort of 18 months, I would say, um, uh, based on the, uh, I just bumped into their Instagram following, and then I was like literally kind of obsessed uh, with them. So um, it's Dr. Core Therapy, which is the account name on Instagram, which I want you to, um, everybody at this point, just go and subscribe and follow, like, share, whatever you need to do. And it's Gurpreet, Dr. D- Gurpreet Kaufra, who uh, owns the account, who's joined, joined me today, who's a chartered clinical psychologist, um, which basically means she's much more clever than me. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation and uh, very enlightening. Welcome, Gurpreet. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me along. Yeah, um, we've been the back and forth I think it was again one of me where I've missed a date or something like that and it's just it's no, just I think it was COVID related wasn't it Hit you yeah. Like, yeah. We, yeah I think I've had COVID in the family about three times now I think the kids have had it three times so oh, um and it just uh, it just once it's in it's hard to just shake it out yeah completely not good <laughs> so I mean just I mean we might as well just just jump in straight away in there in terms of like the last the experience in terms of the last 18 months coming up to two years um mm. I I followed your account especially when people were really struggling with their mental health of uh, being work, work, um, being based at home did you find an increase in terms of your engagement or the work that uh, you're involved in increasing at that time I, yeah, I think referrals have always been coming, you know, steadily through, but I think absolutely mental health issues were completely increasing around kind of COVID, pandemic, lockdown. And it, it was interesting because I saw a lot of referrals for people who are struggling in relationships. So a lot of the issues I think that were probably suppressed before or being dealt with before were were managed because people were going out and they were getting on with their lives and they were interacting and getting to do other things and obviously removing all of that meant that they were just faced with the problem so it definitely increased the the referrals for relationship difficulties and I saw really a sharp increase for young people so young people massively struggled during lockdown it was getting to a point where you know, I just couldn't see everyone who was coming through and it felt awful for me because I saw a lot of people who were struggling massively and we're talking about self-harming and, you know, I, I literally all the local psychologists were full and there was no one to refer these young people to. It was horrible. It was really, really horrible. And that's a problem, I think, with the NHS at the time as well and that, you know, young people literally had to be saying, I want to end my life before they were seen. It was really the risk level was quite high, but they still weren't really being accepted into services. So that was really, it was a really, really difficult time for me as well to be able to realise that there's actually, there's such a limit with what I can do and who I can help as well. 
yeah, yeah, definitely a huge increase at the time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my my background is from a kind of a substance misuse kind of background, where you know, working uh, in um, in commissioning in public health and, as well. Yeah. Um, what I I started to get even myself getting some phone calls of trying to help people uh, increase drinking, especially around of wave one, for example, where people are drinking a lot more from home. The Zoom, the Zoom pressure. The um, I remember one stage someone was coming in, they were funding. They called it the Zoom smiles with the dentistry, trying to get um, better looking teeth on there, um, saving up money, but was also drinking away that money at the same time. There was this weird kind of nuance of pressure that was coming in. You've talked, yeah. you've talked about self harm. You talked about young people in there. What and and the relationship was there? Any other themes that started to emerge from one? Because I've just given you one there in terms of alcohol. Was there anything else that was being missed? If anything, it's quite interesting. I don't really advertise myself as like um, a therapist for South Asian people, but I think yeah. that's, if I'm thinking back, that's probably where my referrals from South Asian people were also increasing, and from men in particular. And so themes like, well, unhelpful coping strategies, I suppose, were coming in. So a lot of men who struggled with porn use, a lot of men who struggled with absolutely alcoholism, um, drug use I think that was the thing that was really really increasing but also from women who again were struggling in their marriages were struggling in their identity as you know who am I as a, as a professional as a mum as a, as a carer for you know in-laws or, or all of that it was it was a lot of kind of referrals coming through from our own community not necessarily just Punjabi community it was kind of across board with South Asian referrals so yeah I think I think lockdown just hit a point didn't it people where it just removed a lot of the coping strategies for people and when that when the distraction is taken away or when the coping is taken away through the external stimulation and they're left with the core problem I think in desperation you know absolutely it, it happened for a lot of people and people started to seek therapy but I think that it was a good thing because therapy and accessing therapy has also been massively normalized now over the last couple of years so since I've been on Gosh, I can't even remember since I've been on how long it's been since I started on Instagram, but it's been a couple of years now. And it was hard. The reason I came onto it was because actually this stuff wasn't really being spoken about, especially in our own community. And it's, I think it's just massively increased that the awareness of mental health has massively increased. Now I'm aware that I'm a therapist and I only see what is being out there. And I don't know what that experience is like for the average mm. South Asian person who, who's not necessarily into therapy and what accounts they're coming across. But I know objectively there's so much more information out there now um, and that's available. So I think it was kind of aligning to the fact that there was a need, but there was also access to how do I get help? And oh, look, this stuff is out there. Maybe therapy can help me. I've got so many different, I mean, you've, everything <laughs> that you say is, is so loaded in terms of different different avenues to go down to. So I, I, I want to try and blend both of it in, in terms of kind of your your experience, your introduction into the field, and then some some particular areas that I just want to kind of go into, if, that, if, if that's yeah. all right. I mean, a clinical psychologist is not the traditional kind of route at that time uh, where people might go into kind of red brick kind of um, um, courses, they say, at university or kind of pathways. This is so specialised in, in, in what it is. And I, I, can, um, I don't want to keep relating it back to me, but I went through a weird, I did a politics degree, which is not the, the, the most sort of um, common pathway to do it. Mm. What inspired you um, to go down this road to start off with? Oh, I really want to say... Oh, 
I've just sorry, I just lost you there. So I'll I'll just go back to the the question. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, what really um inspires you to go down this road? I I want to say something quite profound, but it's not. Other than I just wanted to help people, and you know, I wasn't from a background. I come from a working class family background. My parents know what really really hard all their lives, and there wasn't a massive push on education, and I kind of just figured it out. Uh, along the way you know I didn't even know if I was going to go to college but my mates were so I went and then it was the same thing with university um and I fell into psychology so it starts started off at psychology just psychology degree um and one thing I knew is that I didn't want to do a psychology degree and then come out of uni and then do something completely different I wanted to do something related to psychology I didn't know what at the time and it was only when I went to a careers advisor at that stage and we're talking you know years ago now almost literally like decades but it was her that told me, oh, there's this path that exists where you can go and apply your psychology skills um, and, you know, do this career in it. I knew nothing about it at the time. And it was only, it was kind of just learning as I went, to be honest. I, I did a master's after my degree, went back home. I did practical jobs to get really hands-on experience with people who were struggling. So a lot of support work posts, a couple of assistant psychologists posts, and it was along the way that I learned and I kept learning, kept learning, kept learning, like what is it that I need to do? What is it that this is about and what can I do? And then I got into, you know, a good course and kind of learned along the way. So it's just the need for me to absolutely want to help people because I, I, one thing I knew about myself was that I didn't want to go into business or computing or, you know, that, that stuff just didn't appeal or law or, or that traditional kind of stuff. And as I said, I think I didn't have a massive push from my parents or family to do any of that. If anything, they just supported me with my choices, which I know I'm, is unique, I suppose, for faculty. Mm. I didn't have that same pressure and I'm massively thankful to my parents for that. Um, yeah, and so it's just figuring it out. And I think, you know, personal experience, the reason I was just pausing there, I was thinking about actually from a personal perspective, my, I have a family member who struggled in terms of their mental health. And I got exposure, I saw how unbelievably terrible the support was, especially for, now looking back, I can see actually, especially for us as South Asians. At the time, I didn't realize that actually as a South Asian, we just weren't getting that much support. Um, so that, I suppose, helped me as well to think that actually this is what I wanna do. I wanna go and help people who are struggling because there's oh. such a gap there, there's such a need for people who are struggling with their mental health. Um I don't mean the question by with, with any malice or anything like that, but was there a, a conscious decision that you wanted to kind of go into working with the South Asian community especially, or did you want to keep it more generic and mainstream and have uh, the South Asian community incorporated in your work? Um, does that, what, does what that make sense? Why not malice? What do you mean by not malice? I don't interpret malice from that question. Yeah, no, because I, I think sometimes where... Um, it's something to do with the post that you came out, which was going to come later on, which was that I think when I was working within the um, commissioning side of when trying to provide help and you'd find, um, let's say, Punjabi Sikh organisations or charities really working in a particular area or hoarding kind of information, you'd get charlatans coming in who were like, who are, who are like scam artists. You're basically trying to exploit vulnerable families for addictions or anything like that, or fake Barbie or anything like uh, going from that side. And you'd always get, I mean, I felt it, maybe it was just a personal thing that it was really difficult uh, trying to say that 
you know, if you if you need help, you know, if you break a leg, you don't go to kind of a, a Sikh a Sikh hospital. You'll go to a hospital. It's a universal precaution. It's a universal kind of service. Yeah. And um, I always try to find myself to kind of bring in the community, like the community, the the bridge between um, that separation, yeah. isolation, to come in because I ultimately knew that services had no money the the cultural aspect to have some of those those kind of re religion specific community um, um workers there wasn't always going to happen at that time yeah. um and so what i meant by the the, the malice bit was to say that uh, i didn't want to come from a bit did you feel like that you uh, that you were given a pressure where you were exploiting the market or were you able to try and bring everybody in more inclusive i think it's always been about inclusivity to me I've never and even now I don't really I don't actually advertise myself as a South Asian therapist I don't target the South Asian yeah, yeah. I think I think there's book you know there's pain everywhere and if anything my sick key teaches me that everyone's in pain and if people want to come to me and I can help them with whatever that is then that's my focus and I think absolutely I've always been pulled I suppose towards people who maybe identify themselves as minorities whether that's refugees whether that's people you know who's struggling with their own identity maybe it's because of low confidence maybe it's because of their south asian background maybe it's people who've come from abroad from a different country and you mm. know you kind of get help with that maybe it's a woman who struggles because she feels like a minority I i've always had that pull to help people who feel less than so i think that's the impact of being a minority in in this country certainly one that i've you know been able to relate to so i i, I don't advertise myself as someone who will only focus on a certain group I see myself as working more inclusively with anybody who wants to come to me who struggles with issues, maybe with being a minority. That, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I think maybe I did. <laughs> this is going to turn into a session, but like in terms of trying to like <laughs> like clinical supervision, you know, when you kind of phrase it in there, it's probably kind of the own experience that I had. That I was getting, you know, anybody who was from a, a coloured background, I was just getting literally like, oh yeah, you can go and deal with that because I was from a ethnic background you know to try and engage with communities oh so you were told to go and work with those clients yeah 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 because it was you know I, I was more relatable kind of thing I, I didn't know whether whether that's kind of a a singular kind of position because every time I do speak with people in various bits it was like oh it, it almost became kind of tick box kind of thing and you're like no I've earned my place to be here I can I, I'm not just a specialist just to be speaking with yeah. people from different backgrounds I've, I've earned the right to be on the table to, to speak that um mm -hmm. and it was just you know from from your experience from there what you what what you've said you know off gap you know it, it, it's just that I can see where you're where you're coming from yeah I don't think I had that issue in workplaces if I'm honest and I've really had that focus on me probably a little bit as an assistant psychologist um told to go and see certain clients who were from a Punjabi you know South Asian background probably a little bit then but not massively, if I'm honest, in the NHS since then. I um, I think I missed that period because I completely left. I, I worked in the NHS since 2001 and I left probably early lockdown. Right. Went fully into private practice at the time. And I think that's around that kind of, um, you know, all the race issues really came to the forefront, didn't they, during lockdown with everything that was happening. And I think a lot of people experienced that in the workplace at that time, that they were, if they were South Asian or if they were from a minority group, that they would be the ones who would go to speak up on this and inform the team about how to uh, work with this and so I think I missed all of that but yeah not massively otherwise. Through, through your learning and especially when you're going through um, 
looking at psychology in depth, did it give you a different perspective of with your own peers and all your friends and family around understanding behaviours? And did you, how did you kind of safeguard yourself from always being in that mind frame? Oh, such an interesting question. I, I love my job because I get to learn, because I get to constantly learn about theories or enrich my own knowledge about it. Um, inevitably you're going to have that lens it's just inevitable I think mm. especially because I'm, I'm I, I work as a trauma therapist so I work massively with this idea that actually you know it's about people who, your experiences that have caused you a problem that have caused you some level of real difficulty that is stopping your functioning and so as a trauma therapist I always take a, what we call like a longitudinal perspective of some some of these difficulties I look at history I look at the background, I look at attachment, I look at intergenerational trauma, I kind of look at all of that, and then I understand the person's problem. I don't really stick with just the here and now, because I think that's, for me, it doesn't, I'm not seeing that be as effective in terms of the clinical work. So inevitably, when I am surrounded by family or friends, you just, that's just your lens, you just develop the lens. Um, and I don't think there's much protecting needed, I think it's just about enhancing your knowledge and understanding about Things that are happening around you if anything it can help it can help broaden your perspective of actually what why someone's acting that way or why someone is um behaving in a certain way that isn't like conducive to the best environment so if anything i think it's helpful for me <laughs> how do you um I, I was last night i was thinking about the the, the 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 podcast today and i was like going um you know even talking therapies within I'm, i want to kind of drill a little bit and focus on a little bit of south asian from yeah. there yeah. talking therapies is is this a new concept to south asian community i mean like within a within a wedding within a social we're fantastic everyone's all gossiping everything's all within there but clinically in terms of like talking therapies how is this a, a new concept that's working and is it evolving a lot, um, evolving a quick, quickly to be accepted? What do you think? What's your experience of that? Do you think in your social settings that you are noticing a change in people talking about mental health? Yes, I, I do. I do. I do see, especially within my peers and younger, um, uh, you do hear the words um, mental health being talked quite a lot. Mm. In some aspects i do believe sometimes it's used to justify poor behavior even though i don't believe that there, that there's, no. there's there's a within an issue within that i think now the words keywords such as depression you might hear the older generations starting to talk about it mm. they'll always reflect back in our day we never used to do we never used to have these things and uh, around that and that's where i was saying like the evolution of the word trauma for example if you look at the older generation coming in you had partition coming mm -hmm. over coming over to this country suffering the ra huge racism depending on your religious beliefs happening um 84 anything like that yeah. yeah various significant points of trauma i mean um it has a different meaning for different people so um i do see overall that it's becoming more and more accepted and in, from an addictions point of view, when I was working in the, in the drug and alcohol field, I still see that little bit of a gap there where earlier on in my career, I could say, oh, people don't engage because of language problems. Yeah. Oh, everyone in my generation now can't hardly speak Punjabi, so I can't really accept that as an answer anymore. Um, yeah. And then I look back and say, well, OK, what is it the stigma and taboo? Well, looking at social media, people are just doing everything and anything. I think like the <laughs> everything's off. And so I'm like, the boundaries are changing. I understand that from there. But 
I do still think that there's a really big gap in terms of um, bringing people from um, different backgrounds or even my, my friends into more of a talking therapy environment. Um, mm. I don't know if I've answered the question in that way. It's just been more of a statement in terms of what, I, what I'm saying from it. I think it is still an issue. I think still stigma does still exist. That's yeah. the problem. Not certainly not to the same extent. I think you're completely right with that. We're in a changing time, aren't we? Where actually, yeah, there's so much information, especially to to the younger generation or yeah, middle aged generation, where we've got a little bit more access to it. But to be able to go and say to your mum or your dad or judge, 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 you know, my mum or whoever or your grandparents, actually, I'm seeing a therapist what it doesn't make sense for the reasons yeah. that you said it's like well look what we've been through look at all this stuff that we've been through and now you're upset because I don't know someone bullied you at school it doesn't make sense there's a dis- there's a there's a mismatch there yeah. so there is still stigma there is still stigma about talking about it openly in communities but and this this is a, another issue isn't it it's actually a lot of people think that something very big and traumatic in the ways that you described all of those things that you described that have affected our community they look obviously traumatic. It's so easy to say that these things would have been massively traumatic. They, they were huge, of course they were, and there were levels of trauma in there that would have affected people. Yeah. But what we know about trauma is that it's not the thing, it's not the event, it's the impact it has on the individual person mm. internally. And that is going to be based on their personality and their experience and their family and their messages that they've soaked up about themselves in the world. So it's going to affect everybody differently. Um, but yeah, the mismatch is absolutely still there. Stigma is still there to some extent. Also the shame that people hold themselves. Like there's something, uh, what I see continuously in therapy, not just in South Asian community, is having to accept that I need help. That shame that exists about having to go to therapy. That's still such a big problem that I see with people. It's almost like people have a misconception and that's why I'm trying to do these videos. So I don't know if you, I don't know which video you saw on Instagram, but I'm trying to tackle some of these issues that people have about therapy. Because I think when people think about therapy, they think fundamentally there has to be something massively wrong with me. There has to be something like um, so profoundly wrong with me that I need a diagnosis to access therapy. I think people are still struggling with the basic idea of you don't need to have something wrong with you. You don't need to have a diagnosis. You can just go and talk to someone. You can just go and have that neutral space because a therapy a therapeutic space is a neutral space that you're not going to get with your friends you're not going to get that with your family you're not going to get that at work as much as you know you might get a few sessions with hr but that's limited now going to someone and speaking to someone very very neutrally neutrally that's not something we are very good at understanding we can have and that we're entitled to and that's okay it's absolutely fine we don't need to have something like wrong with us and that's also the other perception that, we, that there is something wrong with you. It's more about what has happened to you that has led to this rather than what's wrong with you. What are you coming with that's not normal, that's abnormal, that's not functioning? You know, we don't talk in that language. It's, that's, that's so, so unhelpful. And that's more of the kind of medical model-based diagnosis system, I'd say, that has probably led um, a lot of people's understanding about mental health difficulties so far. And now with, with the emergence of more posts of mental health I think this this is being challenged to actually trauma is just about what's going on for you that has affected you that's it let's start from there and let's give you a safe space and a confidential space to talk about it yeah I mean because you, you, yeah because you, you've talked about some of the mis the the misconceptions of of, of of therapy and like 
I think what your account does and what you do um, is that you go through some of those uh, those myths and you tackle some of those stigmas on there. Like, for example, the question I'll, I'll ask you now, does everybody need therapy? No, no, but there's nothing wrong with having a safe space. If, if people who have gone through difficult life experiences and stressful experiences, and actually it hasn't led to a long-term impact, it hasn't led to a buildup of stress and they're actually fine with it, do they need therapy? No. Is there anything wrong with having it anyway? No, not necessarily. Not everybody needs therapy. What is need? What does need mean? You know, it's about actually, it, if we think about it in a, in a very, very clinical way, we think about risk. Like if, if we think about someone needing therapy, we think about actually, gosh, they need it because they're at risk of hurting themselves or other people or they're not functioning. Need is just the personal um, experience, I suppose, that some people have. If they feel that they need to connect with someone who understands them, go for it absolutely go for it but no not everybody needs therapy do you find um different trends when people are sitting in front of you or compared to something where people are asking you questions on social media sorry yes yeah so for example if, if you've got somebody um in front of you that they might still kind of bottle up a lot of things um and it, it takes a lot of time to kind of unpick some of the, that, that inf information. Yeah. Whereas if we've got that kind of invisible veil that can social media can bring in, and they contact you on there, do you, is there is there a significant difference in terms of what, what you found? I'm a little bit boundary and I've got more boundaries probably over time with my social media because what I don't want to do is just give generic advice to someone who I don't really know. Yeah. I don't know their background. I don't know their history. I don't know how they're going to receive the information I get. So what I do, what I'm doing at the moment, I don't know how long I can sustain it, but I'm doing this Therapy Thursday thing where people can ask a general uh, question about therapy. And I will try my best to reply to that either in a real or kind of a direct response back to them. And it's got to be a generic one. I don't know about the history, so I can't give much more of a meaning about that. I try not to engage in kind of therapeutic discussions over DM or anything. If you're serious about therapy, contact me. Either I can see you or I'll refer you to somebody who's, who's excellent and, and they can see you. Um, but what we do know in therapy is that you, sometimes I get people in the first session, they want to tell me everything. <laughs> fill it all out, which is completely understandable because, look, suddenly they've got space and then someone's listening and they're not judging and, you know, they can talk openly about their experiences. But actually, more commonly, especially with trauma, people say it, in snippets because actually what's so important in therapy is them trusting me and building up their trust because a lot of people could come to therapy who have never had a trusting relationship if anything they've had only the opposite they've only been criticized they've only been told they're rubbish they've only been hurt and abused or used and so now this experience of someone actually sitting there and listening to you and you, you start to check them out you start to build up a rapport with them you start to believe actually they could be quite a trusting person essentially with you're trying to build that secure base that this person is safe enough to be able to say things openly so I mean even yesterday was it the day before I had a session with someone I think we were on session 17 and it only just opened up about something that was deeply shameful for them because that's the power of shame that a lot of my clients come with it takes time it's like an onion peeling back the layers before someone gets fully comfortable. So I don't know about the issues, whether they're the same or not. It's just that I just tend to be more boundaried for the safety of my clients, for the safety of random people who are contacting me. For my own safety as well, I don't want to be giving advice to someone who's, you know, it's, it's just wrong for them. 
do you do you have um obviously anonymously and professionally in that way um do you have uh, memories of particular cases which stand out for 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 you and the le- like lessons learned from it or if for myself or... yeah for yourself yeah hmm. That's a tough question. I probably needed preparation time on that one. Oh, it's okay. Um, (laughs) Inevitably, I think every case that you see, they're going to stay in your mind because you have developed a connection with that person. It is a form of relationship, isn't it, that you develop with that person. And inevitably, in order to be the best therapist I can be, I try to learn lessons from it. So I try to take points from it that I could maybe have asked certain questions sooner. I could either have on a different angle you know I think you constantly and that's the point of psychology we're constantly reflecting reflecting and learning on what's going to be what's going to enhance me enhance me as a therapist and what's going to be best for the next client who comes through um with that kind of presentation yeah I, I, I was where <laughs> I, it was going to kind of lead up to the next next point which I'll get to which is around kind of emotional burnout and um mm-hmm. I always, even to this day, the, the case is like 20 years old. And I, I always remember, mm. it's always a Friday evening. <laughs> it was always yeah. a, fr- a Friday evening. And um, I was working in the custody block then as a drug worker. Mm. And a um, young girl comes in. Um, she was caught. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Shoplifting, funding a heroin habit, was sort of like, eight, I think she was about eight months pregnant using cannabis in order to help kind of medi- Medicaid, um, her antenatal, that's what she was being told by her boyfriend, who was also pimping her out, domestic violence, all these kind of things. And even to this day, I always reflect back and you can only concentrate at that time to see you know, what help and support that you're able to do at, at, at that bit to kind of maximise it. Yeah. Sometimes I always think about, you know, whatever happened to her, you know, and, oh, and, and, yeah. where it, and where it goes through. Yeah. When you... In in the height of it, I was seeing quite a lot of people um, all this time. And particularly, I want to say, uh, point out, it was before I was married, I had any kids. So I had more of that bandwidth for emotional kind of burden. <laughs> I was able to kind yeah. of take what I felt out as you get married, as you do or they build a family. And my that bandwidth kind of got smaller. Mm-hmm. I experienced that emotional burnout where I was like, I just couldn't take any more calls about yeah. my husband, my daughter's taking cocaine. And can you? signpost me to a service how do you cope with your emotional uh, well-being and, and and combating that burnout I think I try to be very attentive to it and I recognize it and I try to recognize what's causing it and I think it led I think it's definitely happened over a few times so I think the peak of it for me was probably I've got three children so it was after my third child and I was still working in the NHS in a full-time job and there was that real like oh how, how do I do this? I've got a full-time job, I've got three kids at home. I can't, it just felt like, and, and the NHS was getting really hard to work in. You know, it's, you know, touristy, I think it's a very difficult place and I think it's getting increasingly difficult. 
So I made a decision then, actually, I need to sidestep. I want to go into a practice where I can build my own timetable, where I can kind of just be a bit more flexible with things. So that's where I sidestepped into private practice. So it was just being aware of the tension I was experiencing then. Um, and then same thing, I think when I started in private practice, I was so open and eager to see anyone really, because I had such a diverse background, my clinical experience in terms of the severity and risk and all of that. And then over time, it was just noticing actually working with clients who were really, really risky or working with people who were really self-harming. Actually, it was, it was causing stress for me that would spill out into home life, that would be like, oh God, I'm really worrying about the person. And, and so slowly I've kind of just tried to cut down who I'm seeing. So I, I won't, you know, personality disorders, for example, although I'm happy to work with people who have that diagnosis and they're feeling like quite on top of it, I, I'm less likely to work with people who are very, very, you know, self-harming or they're being very narcissistic, for example, they've kind of been very challenging in a relationship. I'm ready to work with people who are ready to work, basically, essentially. So it's me constantly checking in myself about what's causing emotional stress. A big key for me is if it's spilling out into my home life and it's spilling out into my time with kids and my concentration's not there with kids, then that's that's a trigger for me. Then I need to look at actually what's causing that. Which part of my practice is causing me stress that it's spilling out over to that? So I try to actually create a practice. I think I've created a practice now that is feeling comfortable, it's feeling good, it's feeling like it's manageable. Um, and, you know, it's doing things that we all have to do. I think it's important as therapists that we use our own strategies and techniques. And it is about moving the body. It is about getting those walks in. It is about that connection with my family. But if I feel like my mind's going in overdrive, I think it's really important to sit and observe what is, what is my, what's the narrative that is existing in my mind. So I really believe in this idea of being a distance observer yeah. to the mind. We all have that really irritating inner voice. Sometimes it's just, it goes on auto, doesn't it? It's kind of, we're used to it. But I think learning to observe that has been a skill that, you know, I've, I've developed, I'm, I'm continuing to develop. And I think it's something I absolutely talk to my clients about, but I think it's so important to listen to that and which bits of that are causing um, stress or pain points for you. Because actually then we get caught in some unhelpful loops with that. Um, it's about trying to pull back from that and challenge it or just kind of let it go so that's really about um yeah being very self-aware I suppose and reflective is there is there any sort of hints and tips that you that you can give around kind of coping strategies in terms of what 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 you would what you find beneficial in your experience or how to manage with just, yeah, I mean is, the, 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 is there anything kind of like generic thing that people can do that can so many things I think I think you know we've got to think about the different points of intervention so physically you think about your body we often forget that when we're talking about therapy but actually if you notice over time we can start tensing up we can start really really stressing and holding pain in our body and there's a great book actually by Dr Garbor Marty I think it's when the body says no if I've got that right um that talks all about the impact on your mental health and your physical health because of um, uh, emotional pain and early attachment difficulty so when we, we know the body massively stores our stress and tension so work on your body that's that's huge that's a really really massive thing that people need to do we need to learn to be in tune with our body and to find a way for it to heal so that's just basically you know, exercises yoga walking stretching all of those basic things i think trying to also you know for the mental side of things it really is learning the first thing is learning that you need to try to be more aware so many people are led by their minds 
so many people just go on auto, just kind of doing what it's telling you to do. So even this idea that I'm saying now, some people might be thinking, what the heck is she on about? <laughs> and it's just learning to pay attention. And I think what is useful for that, it could be meditation. It could be Simran, if that works for some people. It could be just taking that five, 10 minutes at a certain point in the day that works for you to just sit and reflect, like what are the main things that my mind's been telling me today? To try to create a sense of distance from the narrative. Um, that takes time. I'm not gonna lie, it takes time, but it is important to do. Another thing I think is developing values that are important to you that can also help with steering you where you're going. So again, a lot of people are kind of in a, in a, a routine where they're kind of just doing, and they're not really a lot. So I, I see this quite often with my clients, they're kind of really successful. They've got the, the nine to five, they've got the job, they've got the, the kids, the, the wife and the car and all of that. But they're so unhappy. They're so unfulfilled. And when we go into it, it's actually, they haven't really ever thought about their core values. What's, it, what's important to you? Like really, what's going to give you a sense of, yes, I've achieved, that, that, that makes sense. That makes me feel like I'm online with where I'm going. And values are different from goals. We're very good at goals, but not so good at values. So I think thinking a bit more objectively like that. I know these are quite deep tips so I'm giving no, you. No, 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 this is, this, is, this is useful because like, obviously where people are, are going to be interpreting this for, in their own scenarios as well. So like, the, the more detail, the better, because I think for a lot of people is that they don't know where to go to get some of this information. So what you're giving yeah. is really useful. Yeah, I think a quick win is um, thinking about, you know, when we triggered, I think the quick wins are when we're thinking about our trigger points. So when we have an incident where we argue with our spouse or we're kind of stressed with the kids or we argue at work, or we're feeling really stressed, get really good at going back into it. What I mean by that is that when you are stressed, something else takes over, your anger takes over, your emotions take over, and you kind of lose that rational thinking ability during that peak moment of stress. And you're going to come out of it naturally. So it's like a bell curve, isn't it? You go up, you hit the peak and then you start coming down and quite soon after you come down I want you to get good at being removed enough from that peak point that you can look back at it so don't be so close to it that you're still stressed don't be so far removed from it that you can't remember it get good at getting that sweet spot where you can go back and you can sit down and you can really think about what the heck was going on for you there why did I end up doing that because I didn't want to act like that I didn't want to say those things I didn't want to you know respond in that way so what happened to me? And what you'll often find is when you break that down, and a lot of therapists listening to this or a lot of people who know about CBT will understand what I'm saying. What I'm essentially saying is go through and analyze your thoughts. Go through, look at the situation, try and figure out what was the trigger thought for you. Try and figure out what really changed it for you. And often what you'll find after a few um, incidents of recording this, you'll start finding a theme. You'll start finding something about I felt, I don't know, that person was laughing at me. I felt that person didn't respect me. I felt that person was taking a piss, they were taking advantage of me. You'll find something that's quite triggering for you. That's a little bit of a raw nerve, raw nerve. And there are two things you can do about that. One, I would say is communicate that to the other person if you can, if you've got that relationship. Actually, when you talk about this, this is what triggers is triggered in me. But the other thing is massively your job, isn't it? It's about taking autonomy, it's like taking um direction over that it's about doing something about that you need to work on that because that's come from somewhere what has led to you feeling like people are taking advantage of you 
probably a belief that you don't feel like you're worthy or you're good enough. So we call them core beliefs. We call them those really deeply held beliefs that we have about ourselves. We try really hard to protect, but actually they get triggered really, really easily when we're in that situation. So I think that's that's really a big one. That's a big one to start, absolutely start kind of reflecting on. Sort of related onto it, I ran a really unofficial, not evidence-based sort of a poll in my lad's WhatsApp groups. And I said, um, I'm speaking to somebody, what is their... Um, what is the two common, sorry, what is the, the thing that you would, you would, what would you want to know about basically? Mm. Um, obviously it was a little bit more spicy language because we we're in a lad's WhatsApp group, <laughs> but it was, it was a bit different. So um, the two common themes that came out, uh, and this is between like 50 people within there, was two things really came out quick. Mm. I was really, one, I wasn't really surprised because um, I kind of suffer from it as well, which was the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And and the other one was about imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can you? I want to start with imposter syndrome and then work up to work to towards anxiety. Mm-hmm. Can you just give us a little bit about what imposter syndrome is and some of the ways around it? Imposter syndrome is a term that's been flagged up more recently, isn't it? In the last couple of years, it's really really grown to describe people who are just really not feeling good enough or not feeling like they're qualified enough to do the job that they are doing they're not feeling like they should be the ones doing the thing that they are expected to do I think essentially it's always been there I think essentially it's just a sense of self-doubt again it's that inner critic is that inner voice telling you something that is not true you know where is that coming from it probably is related a little bit to anxiety if I'm honest because this inner voice that we all have is massively protected protective of us it doesn't want us to do too much. I don't know if you would agree with this, but you know, if we're gonna do something new, if we're gonna do something like go to an interview or we go to a presentation, we go to meet this new person, we start feeling anxious and there are thoughts that creep in, oh, should I just not do it? Should I just hold back from that? Should I just cancel it? Should I just say I'll take? You know, that we all have that, that narrative. And a part of that is actually, you know what? You're not really good enough to do that. You shouldn't be the person doing this. You should hold back from that. We can go into that through extra preparing and being the best we possibly can and that leads to perfectionism and that's basically an overcompensation which isn't necessarily a good thing because we'll burn out from that that's not the best approach to take it gets us results and that's why people keep doing it but it's not I would say the healthiest coping strategy um or we go into it obviously by challenging some of it and just hearing that voice hearing and understanding that it's there the voice is there as I said to keep us safe from potentially getting into a, in a, a situation that might be threatening to us. There's something quite essential about this inner voice that almost, it just wants to keep you stuck. It wants to keep you where you are at for fear of you falling out and falling into a danger zone. You know, anything that is different from the current situation is deemed as threatening by the mind, unfortunately. That's just our makeup. That's just the way we are. It's a threat response we still have carried over from when we were, you know, primitive species um, that translates now into the work situation, the kind of the social environment where doing something new is deemed as threatening. Wow. I think where, I think where it came from, and I, I did ask a couple of the people, and they're, they're, they're fairly open in it, was actually around a new job environment where I think a lot of people have got new jobs over, over, the, over the COVID period, lockdown period. Um, and doing everything remotely, 
not necessarily having that physical kind of contact, none of that so that social sangat, for example. Mm. Um, and then you know, getting jobs where they didn't think they had a chance, and that self-esteem, the self-doubt sort of sort of kicks in. Mm. And I think from what you said actually makes quite a lot, lot of sense where you've got that comfort zone that you don't really want to go go experiment and jump into another area. Mm. Uh, but you're in there now and you've you've got the label you've got the job title you've got the salary you've got this and then it they find it really difficult to try to demonstrate some of those skills even though they are doing it it is that sometimes that voice is probably getting a little bit louder time and time again I wonder a lot I, I wonder about men in your group and what where that has come from for them because I suppose some of the men I'm thinking of who I've seen um from South Asian communities actually not yeah most men I see uh, non-South Asian as well they'll they will come with this quite strongly and if we break it down and we think about actually where has that voice originated so we've already established that it's to keep you safe and safe means familiar it means you know and it means like don't disrupt that because this is this is okay you don't want to go too far out of that where has the voice come from saying that actually you know you don't want to go into the danger zone you won't cope that often comes I think from some messages we've picked up over time and that can be going back through your history and finding out well, where are those kind of critical voices. And it could be very direct critical voices, or they can be a little bit more subtle. So it could be just being a minority in this country, there's been something that's filtered through in terms of actually, you, you're only worth so much, you can only do so much. Um, and, and again, I've seen some South Asian men I've worked with who are now quite senior and middle-aged, but they had a hard time getting through up to that level. They will talk about racism and difference it's not as prevalent now it is but not in the same way um but it can come from maybe school it can come from friends it can come from early voices like mum and dad it can come from actually what does your dad believe about himself does he believe he's good enough does he believe that he should just stay in that safe zone was he someone who took risks or is he someone who kind of stayed in that safe place it comes it can come through that indirectly um just learning a message about what's the right thing to do or not so I think that would be the kind of analysis or maybe the thoughts that they would want to start exploring, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I, I've got no, no uh, clear answer for it. Just looking at the kind of makeup, as you were discussing, a lot of professionals, uh, you know, uh, business owners who've got, who've got it. Um, I think it virtually... 98% married kids, uh, maybe as they're getting older, the responsibility gets more. Yeah. I'm absolutely yeah. no basis on what I'm just saying. It's just the looking at the the the, the makeup of, of, of the groups um, mm -hmm. and whether that is a relationship or not. I I, I don't know, but I, a lot of people do get new jobs coming in within there. Maybe that maybe that's had, had an effect on it. Mm -hmm. In terms of when we looked at the anxiety side of it, like this is um, I think that I you know I I I found there's even with this podcast that started from absolutely nothing, they didn't give a shit, just done it, I'm just chilling. Mm -hmm. And then like now getting messages, oh, well, who's on the next one? Who's this, who's this? And I'm like, this was not the idea and not the plan. And this is the byproduct of that. It starts building up that, oh, I've got a plan for next week. I've got to do this, 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 to the point where I've always made a deal. If I don't enjoy it, I'm, that's it, I'm, I'm pulling out. Um, do you, do you find that the anxiety or the word itself is becoming more and more kind of commonplace in terms of um, people having these issues? Anxiety, I think we're getting better at labelling it. I think we're getting better at um, understanding our anxiety. 
I think a point that you raised earlier of actually, are we just overly relying on it? Are we kind of using this language too much? That's probably also there as well. I'm not going to lie, because I think there's this thing like, it's, it's kind of like Insta therapy, isn't it? Where <laughs> everything is trauma or everything is, yeah. everything is related to ADHD or everything is related to narcissism. And I think, oh my gosh, we've got to be careful of that, you know? And I think we don't want to become de-skilled. We don't want to become all about us. Like everybody needs to meet our needs. Everybody needs to do things for us. And if someone's challenging, I've got to get them out of my life. I would be very cautious with this insta therapy um, information that we are being fed. And I think it's very, very careful to keep thinking about what you can do, what you can learn, what you can change, how you can grow when you're in a difficult situation. Of course, if someone's being abusive, of course, if there's risk involved, you need to get yourself into safety. Of course you do. But outside of that, the rest is surely, what can I learn from this relationship? What can I, how can I grow into this? So yeah, I think anxiety, we're getting better at it. We're getting better at describing it and labeling and uh, identifying it. Possibly our anxiety is going up because this, this world that we live in now is crazy. You know, we were expected to do so much all of the time. We can't really have hobbies. You've got to kind of monetize them in, and do all these yeah. things. The, 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 that's, the, that's the point, isn't it? Like monetizing it. Like, um, interestingly, I was having a conversation with my five-year-old and he was talking about some of the videos that he's watching and he goes, oh, how many likes and subscribers have you got for this? And I was like, oh, it doesn't need anything. And then he was, <laughs> the funniest thing he said, he was at a Jazzy B video recently. Yeah. And um, I was chatting, it was hilarious because we filmed that on a Friday. Saturday, we went to, I took him to watch Man United and he saw Ronaldo, which is his hero at this point. Yeah. And then Sunday, we're getting him ready to go to school. And then he goes, oh, I'm not going to school. I was like, well, what do you mean you ain't going to school? He goes, I'm famous now. I mean, I'm on, a, I'm on, I'm on YouTube. I'm on, I've got likes. I've got this. And I was like, his relationship with success came with this social media. And then I was like, going, if imagine the next level of that, where you've got a lot of the TikTokers and all these bit who kind of evolved, and that social media anxiety sort of kicking in that fake Insta life, that perfection life. I mean, this is kind of new uncharted territory in some ways. Are you? Would, are you worried about the next generation of kids coming through or anything like that? Oh, I worry so much about young young people nowadays and what they're being exposed to. Not even just young people. I think older people, people like us. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're kind of roughly around the same. Um, I think it's hard because we're just exposed to this new way of life that um, keeps telling us we should be better. And it doesn't leave us alone. It's there all the time. We can access it as we're going to bed. We can access it in between... I don't know, work breaks. We can, you know, the stuff that we used to do historically. It's so funny. I tell my kids, there was a time where, you know, when I was at school, I didn't have access. There was no internet. There was, I, if I want to learn something, I had to go to the library <laughs> to get a book. <laughs> and come back. You know, it's hard. It was hard stuff. But now with, with internet at our fingertips and this um, pressure to know everything and be everything, and I think it's massively worrying. And we're losing the importance and ability to step away from it because now everything's on our phones even our banking even our gosh you know everything shopping lists or, or whatever everything can be on that screen and we are losing the, the the belief I think that we need to step away from it that it's important to actually put your phone down that it's important to connect and look at people in the eyes when you're talking to them rather than just keep looking at your phone and kind of talking to them it's really scary and I think that it will I think there will be effects from it inevitably because we're just losing how to connect to people. We're becoming more 
um, confident with being that social persona? Yeah, I get quite a mo- As we've been doing this podcast, I was getting more kind of reflective in terms of what you do. I think naturally, obviously, when you, you talk about things, it's, it's triggering emotions, conversations. And, you know, my kids, they, they have an impression of me where I'm always on my phone. And, you know, when you were talking about having that downtime where you're having that specific time for children and things, I think that's becoming more and more because the way that they look at stuff is looking at screens as well themselves now. And they, it's just art imitating life or life imitating art. It's exactly the same in terms of what, what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, I definitely have to have a re- readdress that relationship that I have with technology um, because it's, it, it is passing on. But what doesn't help is when they go to school, the first thing that they see is screens as well. <laughs> screens, isn't it? But we're normalising it. And I think yeah. that's, that's the skills that we have now within our own families. So I, I suppose I think a lot about, and I encourage people to think about what they can do in their own units, in their own families, in their own relationships for themselves. Because that's where the change is going to happen. And it is now about normalising or making a bit of a rule about it. And actually, I'm going to spend these two hours in the evening. You know, we all know this stuff, but it's doing it. It's the doing. It's the commitment to it. That I'm going to spend the two hours just put my phone aside and I'm going to I'm going to play with my kids. I'm going to look at my kids. I'm going to read to them. I don't want them to forget this. I don't want them to forget how to write because yeah. now it's about typing. You know, I think it's just we've got to hold on to these really important, yeah, skills that I think inevitably they're going to start fading. I'm going to kind of bring it to a close and ask you a couple of questions and then have a, a bit of a, a bit of a free space for the for the final one. Um, one is around how do you find a a good therapist it's a hard question I'm not gonna lie Ricky it's a really hard question and I didn't realize it was so hard until I volunteered to find a therapist for one of my clients um sisters because she was really struggling and oh my gosh it's hard if you go I'm not this isn't a plug at all but I have done some videos on this um that gives you certain therapist directories to check out um also I think it's very much about identifying what it is that you need because what does good mean Good can mean different to me. It can mean different for you. Are you. Does good mean a certain amount of experience? Does good mean a certain amount of training? Does good mean registered? And that should always be absolutely fundamental. Please go with someone who's registered and trained and qualified to do what they should be doing. And you can check that out. If you want a psychologist, you go for how is a psychologist registered? It's HCPC. So you can go and look that up. Um, Define what you need. So do you want someone online? Do you want someone face-to-face? Do you want someone from your own background, your own ethnicity, or don't you really care? Do you want someone older than you, same age than you? Do you want someone who's going to kind of be there regularly to talk and have that just safe space to talk? Do you want to be more proactive? Do you want to have, if you've got a problem that you want to work on? Do you want someone who's very compassionate? These are all things that can influence your choice of therapist, but you've got to define what you mean by good. That's the most important thing, first of all. Wow. No, that's nice. It's still a lot of work. It is a work. It is kind of effort, I suppose, to put in there. But the other thing is, it might be a bit of a trial and error approach. You might find someone. It might just be starting with someone, and then you figuring that out after a session or two around. Actually, this isn't working for me because, and that's where the reflection bit is really, really important. Yeah, I always, I, I always have that trouble with that one because sometimes it always relates to cost and things like that. You know, where, where it comes through, and then. I think I remember I remember another case once where I was dealing with the, I was speaking with the family and there was either a, an auntie of some sort where which was basically saying oh they're superstition go to this god that I go to this place and do this, drink that do eat this and it will they'll, they'll be fine and 
you're always combating that kind of oh that frustration really at, at, at that time clients have come to me with that, that actually that is there something wrong with me maybe i should do therapy maybe i should go and see that my mom maybe i should do this maybe i should do that so just focus on you first of all let's ground you let's figure out what the problem is let's let's come come back to you because it's often that they've lost themselves and they're stuck in the whole community approach to things. Let's just focus on you first of all. So yeah, it's real. It's real and it exists, unfortunately. Okay, so this is called the bandwagon. Um, and this is where I uh, uh, um, sort of have a conversation with the guests, basically to have their safe space technically uh, with them. So um, if, the, if there's any bandwagon that you like to jump on, uh, this is your opportunity. If there's one to jump off, this is your opportunity. Or is there anything that you want to get off your chest as well this is your also your opportunity oh definitely should have thought about this one. <laughs> <laughs> i just want people to know that they can that's it i just want people to know that they can seek help that they can find a space that it does exist I, I get that money is an issue especially as a private therapist i get that money is an issue but there are other ways you can get around it maybe do a group maybe get a download a pack you know package from someone that can help you work through it maybe read some books about the thing that you are struggling with my aim is to help people move beyond the limits that they are currently into a place of empowerment. So they're not constrained, they're not feeling restrained by, you know, whatever it is that's happened to them. Um, no, and that's it. I think just, just try to reach out, try to find the space that is going to be best for you. And that's it. I just want to thank you for inviting me along and doing this. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... Um... You know, and, and and that's the offer. If there was anything that's coming out, like I'm hopefully you're writing books and I'm, at some stage I'm you, not, I'm yeah, you're gonna I'm gonna make you write a book or, or audio book or some of some sort. Um, because I do think that there's there's so much potential. A podcast for you is just designed, it is just there. You need to do a podcast. Oh, you're very um, and um yeah, if there was anything from there, I'm, I'm definitely gonna get you back on on some sort because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of feedback coming back from this and, and I'll, yeah, I think what would be useful for me to know is actually how can I help that's the thing I'm always thinking about how is how can I help people who who want the help so if there are any questions or if there are any suggestions about what you guys would like or what you would benefit from I often think about should I do a group from them should I do this should I do that I don't know so if there's anything that stands out let me know Thank you, Gopri. I really appreciate it. I know time is uh, really, really precious for you as well. And uh, uh, thank you for taking this time out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>